0: Welcome to the Fear and Greed Business Interview. I'm Sean Aylmer. We're officially in an El Nino weather pattern, which means a hot, dry summer and increased likelihood of drought, heat waves, and unfortunately, bushfires. Extreme weather events have an enormous impact on a huge range of businesses, from insurance companies to agricultural producers. Today's guest has built a company that aims to warn these businesses of impending hazards, and it uses some of the best climate modelling tech in the country to do so. Kerry Plowright is the founder and CEO of AERIS. Kerry, welcome to Fear and Greed. Yeah, thank you, Sean. Appreciate it. So take me through what AERIS does. I have read it, but I'd like to hear from you. I think I understand, but I'm not sure. Yep, yeah, sure. So
1: Eris is the, the listed entity and uh, the wholly owned subsidiary, which is the operational part, is the early warning network. And that was kicked off some 17 years ago. And really the, the, the crux of that operation is to be able to warn people that need warning for a particular metric uh, that might uh, concern them. And on a spatial basis, and that's probably the, the criticality. Of our system and that what we've developed, which is called a geographic notification information system, you can essentially draw a polygon on it of where something's about to impact. And we have something like uh, seven, eight people, 24/7 around the clock uh, monitoring, plus a whole lot of data being pulled into our system uh, to effectively notify people that or assets uh, that fall within a uh, warning area and again depending on a particular metric of what it is that they want to be warned for okay so and and the other part i should click into that is that we pull in a lot of monitoring you know remote gauges and that type of thing and again depending on the businesses or people on the end of it depends on on the thresholds that we put on those it might be rainfall it might be uh, stream gauges heat gauges you name it we also use a bunch of other things now radar derived rainfall we call it where we look at accumulation where gauges aren't so that we can do just as effective warning and replacing gauges, that type of thing.
0: Okay, so just break that down for me. What sort of geographic area are you talking about in terms of providing warnings? Are we talking about Heavy rain, lightning, extreme heat, are they the sorts of things that you're talking about? Uh, I presume everyone from, well, agriculture, but, you know, electricity suppliers and all sorts of people like that are interested in this. So I'm just kind of interested in how closely you can geolocate stuff.
1: Uh, to within um, a metre,
0: three feet. Oh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right.
1: So that, that's the accuracy of the polygons uh, that we draw. And it's, it's an interesting thing because the footprint that we draw for some recipients is different than others. And I'll give you an example. So insurance companies run something we call embargo services. So if you're talking about hail or something like that, we will map out a polygon uh, or fire of the footprint of where the fire is going to go. And for insurance companies and things like that, they need very high resolution and very accurate so that they, for instance, may not take cover notes or if it's a rail company, they'll, they'll know where to stop the trains. So they have a completely different need than, say, the public. So if we we have a council or a a water authority on the end of it, we'll have a broader footprint for the same event because that prevents people from uh, taking inappropriate action so that they see an event of smoke or something on the horizon. They may get scared and jump in their car and actually inadvertently drive into it. Yeah. So what we're doing is making sure that people have the appropriate information to act accordingly.
0: Now... Kerry, I am uh, hesitate to ask this. How do you do it? And dumb it right down for me, please.
1: Okay, yeah. We have a whole bunch of people sitting there watching weather events and all hazards all the time. And they are sitting there with a whole bunch of feeds coming into them, and they're looking at all of them. And we have a lot of automated systems that will kick into gear and let them know what particular events which they need to draw their attention to. And again, The system identifies when they then see an event, they will then draw the polygon of where that event is going. And if you're talking about thunderstorm or hail, you'll be mapping and tracking that event. And we actually have a particular hail product that automates some of that stuff. So they will track that ahead. So people are getting a warning two hours ahead. And it depends on the type of threat as to the, the amount of forecast warning that you give people.
0: So just carry, I'm just to jump in. So when I get a text, for example, from my insurer saying this afternoon or shortly expect hail in your suburbs, they mentioned my suburbs specifically, that that's the sort of thing you're talking about. Yeah,
1: yeah. Because it, it actually goes out in different ways to different insurers because they have most of them feed off our API and depending on their internal system and how they pull locations, it may be because that polygon runs through a postcode and Subsequently, yeah. if you're in that postcode, um, you get the notification. Albeit if you've got a car, that's probably
0: pretty useful information anyway. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Can I, can I ask, in all honesty, how accurate are you?
1: We're really good. We've been doing this for a long time. We're the only ones that do it like this, period. Um, I think we were the first in the world to do it. So I actually got the guys building this back in 2006. Right. and. We, we ran the product out in 2007, the first, and it would have easily been the first spatial system for providing locational warnings for severe weather events. Um, It's just that, you know, it was a garage in Terranora out the back of Coolangatta. Uh, right. Whereas we'd been, you know, in Silicon Valley. Might have been a completely different story by now. But uh, we were doing that, and uh, in those days it wasn't easy. We had to hard code it. You're talking MSSQL and ASP.net, and there were, there were no services that delivered any sort of locational stuff and we were trying to if you look at how you figure out somebody's in a particular polygon the system isn't actually figuring that out it's figuring out who's not in it right so you draw a polygon and if you've got a half a million people in there it's got to suddenly figure out who isn't in it really quick to know that who is in it and then it could just be two people and then off it goes because we could draw a polygon around a house and just those
0: people would get it if they're in it stay with me Kerry we'll be back in a minute My guest today is Kerry Plowright, founder and CEO of AERIS. How far into the future can you forecast? So is this an hour thing? Is it days? I remember talking to a weather forecaster once and he said, look, anything over a few days, it's really difficult. It's a real challenge to get accurate after a few days. I don't know. That was years ago. So I don't know if that's still the case. But how far into the future can you?
1: Pretty much still the case. Pretty much still the case. So, you, you know, the way we look at it, three days, you know. Four days max, depending on the stability of the conditions at the time. Seven days is a real stretch. It just kind of gives you some idea, you know, of what might yeah. happen. So we often provide seven-day forecasts, but we, because we deliver them daily, you know, it sort of hangs in on what the actual event is going to be. But the systems that, that are used to try to deliver that, uh, you know, the, the, the supercomputers are just amazing. Mm-hmm. I mean, the numbers they've got to run on this are just absolutely insane.
0: Yeah. And I yeah. think it's
1: pretty amazing that we're doing that. But it brings up the good point about longer term forecasting because I get to the type of data that we produce, which I call you can operationalize it, you can make decisions on it. It's what we do. And when you're talking about climatics, so we have a product called climatics, and we're really lucky because we have proprietary data that we've made over the years using our system that is able to provide predictive analysis on sort of a probability basis of where events are going to occur and, and the metrics that are going to occur. And I call call it real world data. It's actual. And unfortunately with people, uh, especially businesses, because very shortly you're going to have 23,000 businesses requiring to report on their climate risk because of new regulatory requirements. And they basically most of them don't know how and don't know where to start. And the last thing they want to be doing is using climate models to be able to try to figure that out because they're not really designed for that. Whereas we've got, Michael, benchmark data, which would be defensible in 10 years' time. And I, the analogy I use is this. If you jumped on an airplane and you had a choice of two pilots, the first pilot had only ever flown simulators and crashed them every time, and the other pilot had about 5,000 hours and it
0: never crashed, which one would you pick? Right. So, yep. so who uses you, Kerry? Who are your clients? Insurers, obviously.
1: Yeah, insurance is a very big part of our business, probably the largest part. It's growing, and I'll get into the rest in a minute, but the insurance is growing because of the hail product and uh, radar RDR, rainfall-derived uh, rainfall. So that's particular, We can look into a, a hailstorm using dual-pole radar and identify the size of the hail in the hailstorm. Wow. So that's how we know how destructive it may or may not be and also where that hail is going to fall. The other thing that's really interesting about insurance companies is that with our, our climatics risk, they have to... Redo their portfolios every year. Every year, insurance policies are renewed. So that's where this actual data becomes really important. And we've built this product so they can shove in their entire asset base and pull in through our API, deliver a risk score for every hazard that they're concerned with with those particular assets. And the monetization on this is fantastic because we ping for every, every ping, whether it's a every particular hazard every particular asset. So it's multiple pings per asset. And of course they have to redo this every year. So if an insurer yeah. has, you know, a couple of hundred thousand assets or more, that's a fairly substantial, you know, monetary return for us. So we've only just started this and we've pulled in a couple of smaller ones. But uh, we've uh, got sitting on the books there just about ready to go some some much larger ones. Now, you know, they're not there yet from a guidance point of view. <laughs>
0: that's, yep. That's yep,
1: point yep, stop. But, uh, you know, it will be a fairly significant change for us if we're able to deliver one of those in the near term.
0: Okay. So outside insurance, who else is this relevant? Government, uh, agriculture, those groups?
1: Yeah, Heavy Hall. Heavy Hall is a big one, right?
0: Right. Yep. So
1: that's where that RDR comes in because a lot of tracks not covered by gauges or anything like that. And we're able to. Um, so we, we've got all of their um, gauges in our system as well so that we're looking at all of these things all the time. And we have a whole bunch of procedures and protocols that we run with those guys, which determine how fast the trains run, whether they stop, and when they start again. It's one of the few where we provide a follow up to say you're all clear because they need to. It's, it's, yeah. it's a big deal if you stop trains. It can really stuff up yeah. pretty bad. So that's one. You've got um, telecommunications, um, another people like NBN. So again, we nearly all of our large blue chip customers are all blue chip through an api so it goes into their system and what they do two parts is one is they have a coding system to allocate where people can go their their contractors and and staff so that they can prevent them from going into areas that are likely to be impacted by a severe uh, event and others uh, you know are worried about cables and where buyers might go so that they can um, anticipate outages and and react accordingly so that's telecommunications we've got councils water authorities Water authorities actually use our GNIS. So in addition to us just going to them with our warnings ourselves, they actually use our main platform to deliver their own notifications to people downstream of the dams. SEQ Water, New South Wales State Water, Melbourne Water, people like that. So those that's another one. Councils and, and Parramatta City Council, um, Newcastle City Council. This is where people become important. I know tech is great, but people are still really important. So these sensors I've talked about, 20% of the time they go off incorrectly or they break, don't go off at all. And we have people sitting there that can, A, if something looks a bit dodgy, in other words, an alert off a sensor, we will, you know, refer it to the other telemetry that we have to see whether we think that's a real one or not. And the uh, CBD of Parramatta or Newcastle would have been emptied out several times if it wasn't for us saying, no, nah, that's, that's not right. It's okay. Yeah, reasonable. or on the other end, hey, we think something's going on, but we're not getting anything. What are you seeing? Yeah, in, yeah. you know? And subsequently, they send out a, a notification. So those would be probably some of the, the, the bigger entities. We're picking up solar farms now There's another one. Hail is, is a big problem. So not just from a monitoring and alerting basis, but also from a planning basis. We, we definitely know where the hail tracks are, and we, we yeah. can very much tell businesses where you're going to be at most risk from a hail event.
0: Kerry, I have, learnt, I have learnt a lot today. Thank you for talking to Fear and Greed. Thanks, Sean. Appreciate it. That was Kerry Plowright, founder and CEO of AERIS. This is the Fear and Greed Business Interview. Join us every morning for the full episode of Fear and Greed, Australia's best business podcast. I'm Sean Elmer. Enjoy your day.